On this week's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going over part two of what is speaking in tongues. If you have not listened to part one, it's the previous episode, and I highly encourage you to go over there and listen, because it's going to place a lot of things that we talk about in this episode in context. So without further delay, welcome to the podcast and enjoy your stay. Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe Now What? Welcome back to another episode, everybody. I hope everyone is having a wonderful day out there. If you notice, our audio may be a little bit different today. That's because I'm trying out some new equipment that I recently got and trying to figure out all the settings. But anyways, you didn't come to listen to this. You came for part two of our episode that we are doing on what is speaking in tongues. Essentially, if you missed part one, just like I said in the intro, highly encourage you to go over and listen to part one, or maybe you forgot some of the stuff that we said. Once again, encourage you to go over there and get it a listen because it really places things in context in what we are going to talk about today. Just a short summary of what episode one was. I gave my reasons for why I wanted to make this episode. I also gave my reasons for how I view the gift of tongues and kind of my standpoint on it. I didn't really fully go into that, and I plan on doing that a little bit more today. But then we peeled back and looked at that scripture and saw what scripture had to say on the gift of tongues. Specifically, we stayed in the book of Acts. Now we're moving on for this episode into 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. And this is where Paul really gets into the nitty-gritty of what tongues is. And we're going to go over what he had to say on it. We're also going to go over how different denominations view speaking in tongues, what the applications are for it, depending on these uh, denominations, and does that line up with Scripture? Is that scripturally sound and accurate? Not only that, I understand that some people may have never heard of what speaking in tongues is in today's modern church and what they view it as, so we'll also play you some audio clips to show you examples of how some denominations view speaking in tongues and what it is. Now, obviously, if you listen to part one, you understand that I have a cessationist, or at least I like to call an open but cautious cessationist viewpoint to the gift of tongues. I believe that the gift of tongues were real-world languages that the apostles and the people who were building up the foundation of the church supernaturally were gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak these other languages, to communicate the gospel message, and it was also used as a sign, a sign especially to the Jews, that Gentiles were also partakers in the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand For any of our tongue-speaking audience out there who believes in the modern-day speaking in tongues and may have different views on it than I do, number one, like I said at the end of the last episode, if you stuck that out and listened, I want to commend you. It is not very easy listening to somebody talk about something that uh, you personally don't believe and you have opposing viewpoints for, and they're saying, hey, look, I know what you think you're doing, but I personally believe it's wrong. That's tough to sit there and listen through, and trust me, I know it. If you didn't catch the last episode, I talked about how I, the last two and a half years of my life, essentially was going to a charismatic church that were openly using these gifts because I wanted to test myself and I wanted to make sure, well, it wasn't only that, there was other reasons because I I really did enjoy the church, but I, I wanted to test myself and essentially see what 
I believe on this? Is what I believe actually what the Bible teaches? I wanted to see this because I do not believe this. If you heard the first episode, I do not believe this is a salvation issue. If you do not speak in tongues, I don't believe you are, that doesn't make you not a Christian. I also believe that if you do speak in tongues, that does not make you not a Christian. I probably could have phrased that a little bit of a better way, but (laughs) anyways, essentially that's what I was getting at. This is not a salvation issue. Just because I don't believe in speaking in tongues does not mean I view my brothers and sisters that do speak in tongues and do operate in it in a different way than what I believe. That makes them no less Uh, of a person and does not make them a Christian. They are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and I truly, truly believe that. So anyways, after that nice, long, I guess kind of secondary introduction, let's start picking up where we left off. Like I said, uh, also, I do want to highlight a couple things. I understand that some people do not know exactly what speaking in tongues was, like I said, I personally believe they were real-world languages, but we, I do acknowledge that there are denominations out there that see things differently. And I, as, as always, am open but cautious. I just don't personally see it in Scripture, at least not in this time of my life. But I do understand that some people do not know what I'm referring to, especially if you come from different parts of the world or different parts in the United States. And I will play you a clip of what modern-day speaking in tongues is according to specific denominations. Various denominations view have different views, and of course, that's always going to be the case. But the number one thing that we have to realize, like I said, this is a non-salvation issue. Some denominations will argue that, but I believe the Bible is very clear. Spiritual gifts especially, not everybody gets the same spiritual gift. Uh, and that we can actually go deeper into that. This whole episode series, these little two-episode series that I'm doing was all driven off of a point. I recently was invited to a podcast a few weeks ago by my good buddy Jonathan Lunsford, who believes in speaking in tongues much differently than what I believe speaking in tongues is in the application for it today because he wanted to have a discussion about it, and he didn't want it to be an echo chamber where he had three other people who are all good brothers in Christ's, Um, he wanted to make sure that there wasn't an echo chamber between those three. So he invited me on to put the cessationist viewpoint out there. And we had an amazing, good iron sharpens iron discussion about it. So that's why I wanted to kind of do this episode to kind of clear up my view. Because what I did in there, because I didn't want it to turn into an argument, was I didn't go and berate every single point where, well, I believe you're wrong. Well, I believe you're wrong. Well, I believe you're wrong. Number one, that's not charitable. That's not how a Christian acts, especially when it comes to a non-salvation issue like this. And number two, it wasn't that type of conversation where we're just pointing out what's wrong with each other beliefs. If we really want to do that, absolutely, everybody can always argue about what they believe and what they don't believe and all this stuff. But I believe Christian unity is important important as long as we do not forsake the gospel truth the gospel truth being that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and to lo- and the life and salvation is only found in Christ by by God's grace through faith alone period not of works none of that it is belief in Christ and submitting to him as lord and savior which i personally believe comes with being a, a believer. That, that's something supernatural that happens to you by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've been going on and on and on about that. Let's get to the, 
the meaty part. Let's get to the verses. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 if you're following along with your Bibles. If you're driving, by all means, do not do that. No accidents here, but let's continue on. So once again, just highlighting that the previous stuff that we covered in the book of Acts, this, these were all examples of tongues that we saw. Uh, there wasn't much explanation on it. It was just an example of it happening. Now, in these chapters that we're going through, 12 through 14 in 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to transition. He's not going to do examples of tongues, but rather he is going to explain tongues as what it means as a spiritual gift, as a whole, giving them regulation and as well setting them in their proper priorities. I truly believe this is where we can get the most learning. Uh, now, mind you, all of these passages were written before 58 AD. I want to make that a key point. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you didn't listen to the previous episode. So go over there and listen to it. It's going to make everything make so much more sense. But anyways, uh, 58 AD was the last recorded sign and miracle that we see in the Bible. And I want to be clear, that is recorded. Could they have happened afterwards? Absolutely. We just don't see it. Uh, at least not written. And there were examples that we gave of how people were sick and they didn't get healed. Uh, the signs and wonders, miracles being healings, miraculous healings, speaking in tongues, things of that nature. So continuing on, this is Paul giving correction, regulation, and explaining the proper use of spiritual gifts, especially with a giant emphasis on tongues. Now, the first one we're going to go to is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 8 through 11. And yes, while it may be amazing if I could just read through each chapter, but then this would turn into five episodes, I'm really just giving you the highlighted gist. And I, I, I want to, I said it before and I will continue to say it again, you need to read this stuff for yourself. Don't let me convince you on what speaking in tongues is or isn't. You need to read this in the scripture for yourself. And you need to pray on these subjects. Uh, I know I did it myself. When I first started going to this more charismatic church and I was really trying to determine what was what since I never experienced it, I was on my knees multiple times praying to God, Lord, please give me insight. Lord, please open up the scriptures to me so I can understand what intent your servant Paul was trying to say here through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So now with all that being said, let's get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. Starting at verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So a few key takeaways on this passage. Number one, I want to say this passage is what I personally use to prove to people who believe that you aren't saved unless you speak in tongues. Paul makes it very clear here that tongues is a gift, and the gift is distributed by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit wills through God, and that essentially not everyone gets these same gifts. The point that he's making with all this is that we as Christians are all part of the bigger body of Christ. 
And just because somebody who is a hand doesn't go and look at the foot and say, hey, foot, I want to be you. Or actually, I think it would be the opposite way around. You know, feet are dirty and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, this is what he's saying. I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm, I'm kind of summarizing uh, what the context is. But that's what he's saying. Each person has different gifts. Maybe some people have multiple gifts. Who knows? But essentially, not everyone is going to have the same gifts, and the gifts are distributed according to the Holy Spirit and how he wills it through God. Now, obviously, me as a cessationist believe that many of these signs and wonders gifts, such as the gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, uh, tongues, and all that stuff, those are all gifts that are not in operation today just because of what I how I explained everything in the first episode. Now, I want to be clear. I am not saying that, that God cannot see in his perfect will to give somebody these gifts today. I truly believe he can if he wants to. I just personally believe through reading of scripture that the purpose of those gifts were establishing the gospel, building the foundation, and once that, I use the analogy of a fire, once the kindling was lit in the fire and the fire started to spread, there was no more need for the lighter that really got the the fire going. You can go ahead and throw the lighter out now because that fire is going to keep on burning. Now, that's not to say, as I said, that God can't reuse that lighter to go ahead and ignite some more fire. I believe that can happen. I just don't believe it is happening as often as some people like to think it happens, uh, if that makes any sense. Moving on to our next section of verses, we can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. This is pretty much reinforcing a lot of stuff I just said about the previous verses. Here you're going to actually see the Apostle Paul pretty much rack and stack gifts and then go into specifically... Not everybody gets the same spiritual gift. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31 reads, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues, And then in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Oh, key right there. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. But yet, and yet, I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into his amazing 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage about love and how love really is the more excellent way. See, what the church in Corinth was doing is they were really zealous for spiritual gifts. They really wanted spiritual gifts, whether it was for glorifying God or whether it was because they just thought it was cool and amazing. Who really knows? I'm not going to dive into that too much. But essentially, he wanted to show them that there was a more excellent way, and that is the way of executing things in love. Now, I want to break down this verse just a little bit, just to point out a few different things. So number one, I want to say, show you, he racks and stacks these gifts. In other words, he's giving them a type of rank. We see, he says, first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, and variety of tongues, tongues being the very last. Now, personally, on the cessationist side, I do believe that the apostles 
and profits are no longer an office or a role that we still have. I know some people may take issue with that, uh, especially in charismatic circles. There's something called the fivefold ministry. If you ever hear that phrasing, the fivefold ministry, they're talking about apostles, prophets, preachers, teachers, and evangelists. All right. I, I personally believe apostles and prophets are no longer offices that are held today. And I don't just make that arbitrarily. I have scripture that I personally use to support that. I have a few different verses, but my favorite one that I typically go to is Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 20, and it reads like this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, let me read that to you uh, in a little bit more context. I'll start at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone or the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, I can spend a whole bunch of time on that verse because it's so amazing, but number one, like I say, I do use this verse to show that the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and the prophets. The foundation of the church is already built. He's referring to the people here as the building. You can't keep building the foundation as you're building the building. You build the foundation first, and then you start building the building. So the foundation is already laid. The apostles and prophets' purpose has been completed, and now the building is beginning. So that's why I do not believe apostles and prophets exist anymore. Uh, not to say that God cannot give people visions and all this stuff, but when it comes to thus saith the Lord, prophecy, I do not believe those exist. So when you see all these guys on YouTube or TikTok Live and all these other sources saying that they're getting this word from God, I have a very hard time believing it. Uh, I don't want to despise tongues or despise prophecy, but instead I want to test everything. And if it can't be validated in the word of God inside the Bible, then personally I want nothing to do with it. Now, there is some debate with Ephesians 2.20 on whether or not they're referring to Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, or both. I like to hold it to both because there's no reason really given on why it would be separating one or the other. And for the apostles, the reason why I don't believe apostles are around anymore, it, apostle literally means a sent one, uh, somebody who is sent from God. The reason why is because the criteria seem to be pretty strict and set in stone for what an apostle is supposed to be. We see after Judas betrayed and they had to find someone else, they had to pick Matthias, they lay out some foundations there. The apostle Paul also talks about that because he was a little bit of a different case, but mainly the point being that if you were going to be an apostle, you had to have seen the risen Christ, you had to have learned directly from him as a disciple, uh, and then people would ask maybe, oh, you know, what about Paul? He wasn't one of the disciples falling around Christ. But remember, Paul, who got saved on that amazing God-intervening trip on the road to Damascus, when he was on his way to persecute and slaughter Christians, he got converted. He Then he went to three years in Arabia, where we believe he personally learned from Christ. Paul has another amazing section where he talks about whether I was in the body or out of the body. Pretty much he was called up to heaven and learned directly from Christ. And that is what we as the church believe and interpret those passages to say.
Now back to our original passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31, Paul gets very specific here. And this is another way, like I said, that you can point out to people who think everybody has to speak in tongues. And if they don't, they're not saved. He goes on to say, are all prophets, are all apostles, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And he's speaking kind of facetiously here saying like, no, of course not. Not everybody has that. The Spirit distributes the gifts as he wills, just like he said in the last chunk of verses we read from verses 8 through 11. Okay, so I think we beat that one dead. Let's go ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 now, verses 1 through 3, which picks up right where we left off. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but, not, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a claning cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, specifically talking here on the gift of tongues, what some people will do is say, so this is where we start kind of separating. So from the book of Acts, from where we first read in the last episode, all the way up until now, there was no other indication given that tongues was anything other than a real world known language. Now, this is where we start to separate different denominations and how they view things. Uh, from the book of Acts all the way on, every mention of tongues seems to indicate because it wasn't specified otherwise, that this was a real-world language. Now, this verse is where things start to get a little different, and some people will interpret this as tongues being another thing. They'll acknowledge that tongues are real-world language, and that's a gift, but then they'll start to use this verse and many others that we will have following that tongues is also a supernatural language. So there's essentially two different types of tones. You have the real-world language tones, uh, and then you have the supernatural language tones. And they'll use this verse typically as one to try to define that, where Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And they'll take that and they'll draw a bunch of inferences and say pretty much, oh, oh, there's an angel language. There's a secret angel language. Well, we, we need to go... Uh, uh, try to see this in the Bible biblically, because I do think this is important to talk about, because some people truly believe that when they are praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, they're praying in some angel language. And I want to go ahead and talk about that really quick. It's because this is important. So if you could, and I want you to look this up when you get the chance, but 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what it says. Paul is going to talk about his experience of being brought up to heaven. And I actually, I love this account because he's trying to be so humble, and it was probably such a confusing experience, almost as he had no idea what was going on, and he really did not want to boast in this. But let me go ahead and read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. He says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, this is visions and revelations that he personally received. And then verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven, and I know 
how such a man, whether in the body or a part of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak. All right, that's the key line right there, that last verse in verse 4. He says, was caught up in the paradise, into heaven, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. So, this, this angel language or anything like that, we can only imagine what Paul was talking about, but assuming he heard heavenly speakings, and he, in a language, in a way that he clearly says, man is not permitted to speak, whether we don't have the ability to do it, which I believe is true, and we shouldn't do it, which I believe is true. So that's what the Apostle Paul had to say about the whole angel language part of that. I don't. If anybody tries to tell you that tongues is an angel language, I don't believe that to be true, not in the least bit based off of that verse. Now let's continue on. Throughout the rest of 1 Corinthians 13, which was the last passage that we were going over about tongues, Paul was specifically laying out, look, you can have all these amazing signs and wonders, gifts, but if you're not doing this in love, it means absolutely nothing. Everything needs to be done in love. And then we find ourselves in the next section, which is 1 Corinthians 14. And pretty much after everything he talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. So here it is in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now I'm going to take a stop right there at verse 1. So he says, pursue love. Do it. Love. That's what you should be going after. And... You can also desire spiritual gifts. He says desire, not earn. Sadly, there are denominations out there that will try to tell you that if you pay them all this money, they can help you unlock your spiritual gifts and train you up in your spiritual gifts. Uh, Bethel is really big on that. The dude who wrote the Passion Translation is very big on that. And they actually change words around in the Bible to try to say that. But essentially, it's not something to unlock that you have to pay someone for. It's something you desire because as we said earlier, the gifts are distributed by the Spirit as He wills. Not as man wills, but as He wills. But there's nothing wrong with desiring them. Now, I would love it if I was bestowed a gift of healing and I can go to the hospital and just heal everybody right now inside that hospital. That would be amazing. You know, desire these gifts. There's nothing wrong with desiring the gifts. Uh, it's the heart of why you want the gifts that really matters. And like Paul said, we need to pursue love. But then he goes on to say, desire these spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, I want to make a key point here. So when you hear the word prophesy, prophesy has a double meaning inside the Bible. There's the prophet that we were talking about earlier, the one that receives a divine revelation from God, thus saith the Lord this, and then there's prophesy where you are standing forth on the word of God. This is something that a pastor does every single Sunday when he's faithfully talking about the word of God. He is prophesying. He is standing forth on the word of God. We just don't use the word too much because it kind of mystifies things and then people don't know what you're talking about. But prophesying is pretty much that, standing forth in the word of God and talking about it. Uh, we can get a little deeper into it, but honestly, I don't see the point of doing that. But if you get yourself a concordance, 
uh, a really good concordance, go ahead and look it up. I, even a simple Strong's concordance will tell you and show you that meaning. Look it up for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. But then we go on to verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 14. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. All right, we're going to stop right here, because this is where people pull out the private prayer language tongues. And I won't lie, it looks very convincing. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, we can view this a couple different ways. Either one, they are absolutely right, and this is a private prayer language where you are speaking to God. You just happen to not understand a single thing you're saying. Saying your spirit is praying, your inner person is praying, but your mind is unfruitful because you have no idea what what these syllables and words are that are coming out of your mouth. Uh, Number two, you can look at it as... What Paul is doing here is he's being a bit facetious, or he's using uh, an analogy, saying that, look, when you guys are trying to talk in these tongues, because let's let's look at history a little bit. Church of Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth, is a port city. It is literally known as a giant melting pot, and they would have these temples there. And these temples were to all these multiple different Greek or Roman gods, or whatever the case may be, and part of their worship were actually going there, getting drunk, and pretty much like letting the Spirit inhabit them, and then they would speak like a gibberish-type language, and I'm not trying to use gibberish to be uh, mean. This is, I'm talking about what these pagans in Corinth would do, and this is history. We, you can look this up for yourself. It's very true and real. But they would get drunk, they would ask these spirits to intervene in their life, and then they start acting as if these spirits were speaking through them, and and honestly, Uh, spirits could have been speaking through them because that's how you open yourself up to demon possession when you are not a believer. But anyways, uh, that's some history into the church of Corinth. So that's option number two. He could be talking about that essentially in a way where, look, you, you think you're doing something, but you're not actually doing it. You're just speaking a bunch of nonsense. And only God knows because the spirit intercedes for you on his behalf. So he knows what you're trying to really say here. But nobody else does. Like, you're not profiting anything through this. Not even yourself, because your mind is unfruitful. Now, before we continue on, I I do think this is important uh, for many of you who may not know what speaking in tongues is. I want to give you an example, and I'm pulling this off of YouTube. I'm going to give you an example of what praying in tongues sounds like. Because, like I said, this is a passage that many people will go to when they prove or when they try to prove that a private prayer language speaking in tongues exists. And I've talked about it with many people before. You can hear about it if you go back to that podcast, Under the Cloud, Speaking in Tongues podcast. We talk about this specifically in there. Uh, So I highly encourage you to go over there and listen to it and listen to these people who actually do it, and they can tell you about it. But essentially, it's when you are in prayer with God, your spirit start pr- starts praying, and the words just come out, and it's these syllables, and you have no idea what you're actually saying. You 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 don't know, but you're. As I've talked to other people before who do this, they say their spirit feels it. There, it's something different inside their spirit. Uh, we can get into that a little bit more, but like I said, I want to give you an example of what that sounds like in case you never heard it before. So I had to pause the recording there for a second, but this is essentially what it sounds like. Once again pulling this off of YouTube, but this is pretty much consistently 
what you would hear when you would hear someone talk about praying in tongues. People have some different uh, versions of it. Uh, that gets into some nitty gritty, but this is essentially what it is. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. All right, well, I'll go ahead and cut it off there. So I think you get the idea of what uh, that is. That's that's pretty much consistent with mo what, what I've experienced in my life, hearing most people talk about praying in tongues and what they personally believe it is. Hopefully that music wasn't too loud. Like I said, I'm working with a new system right now that actually enables me to use recordings, so it's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, that's an example of what people believe praying in tongues is. Once again, want to reiterate, they believe this is your spirit praying. You may not necessarily understand what you're saying, but it's something that they claim that they feel in their spirit. Now, as we continue on through verse 3, the Apostle Paul is going to go specifically into why he said, yeah, it, uh, pursue spiritual gifts, but really that you should prophesy and how prophecy is a a superior gift, prophesying, standing forth on the word of God, is a superior gift. Starting at verse 3, he continues saying, But one who prophesies speaks to men for the edification and exhortation and consultation. So in other words, he's saying when you're up there preaching and proclaiming the word of God, and you don't just have to be behind a pulpit to do this. You can do this in the street. You can do this when you're talking to somebody. But when you're proclaiming the word of God, you are doing this for edification, which is building up the body of Christ, for getting knowledge about the Lord, for growing someone in that grace and knowledge, for exhortation or for consultation. Maybe somebody's gone through something rough and they need some consultation. This is part of that. Consultation literally means consulting or discussing something with somebody, something that may be traumatic in their life or something that they need understanding for. It doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic. It's a gives kind of a broad meaning, but yeah, he's saying prophesy, prophesy, stand forth on the word of God, so that way you can do these things. And then in verse 4, he says, one who speaks in a tongue, and this is key right here, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And we talked about this in that episode, and everybody agreed, these were all tongue speakers here, and they all agreed that this is true. They, they said that uh, when we're edifying the church, that's the main goal. But essentially, when you're speaking in a tongue, you're only edifying yourself at that point. We should be edifying others as well as ourselves. And then in verse 5, he says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. This is another reason why you can point out not everybody is going to get this gift. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Now that last part, unless he interprets, he's saying now when you, maybe you're speaking in tongues, uh, this is the way that I view it. Uh, th this is, th there's two different views to this. There's the way I view it pretty much, which is the cessationist way of viewing it. And then there is the more charismatic way of viewing it. We'll discuss both. Um, we talk about this at that Under the Cloud podcast, actually. But I view this as when somebody is in the church, uh, like I said, church Corinth was a melting pot of society. Multiple people, probably multiple languages. Greek was probably the dominant language, though, because that was the dominant language of the time. And as they were speaking, there may be people from foreign language in there. If they started speaking in the tongue, 
maybe for a specific group of people, then you need to interpret that as well. Now, that could either come by via somebody getting a gift of interpretation, as we talked about earlier, or it can come from the person, maybe he get the guy speaking in tongues, could get that gift of interpretation, and then he can interpret what was said in his tongues to everybody else out in the audience, so that way everybody gets edified. Now, the more charismatic way of viewing this, this is what they call them. As I said before, we talked about this in that episode I did on Under the Cloud. They like to call it a holy hush, where everybody gets quiet, somebody stands up, and they start speaking in tongues. And what they believe, and I hopefully I'm doing it, doing it right uh, based off of their language of what they say, God is giving somebody a divine message. That message rests on them. They speak in tongues, and then either themselves or another person receives the gift of interpretation. They will stand up, and they will give the message. Uh, what that message could be, uh, not too sure, but I'm going to go ahead and play you an example of what that sounds like. And before we get into this sample, I do want to set it a little bit in context. So this is a church. They got some music playing and all this stuff. It's not the exact holy hush. I hear that's actually more of like a Louisiana thing. Not too sure. But essentially, they got this music playing. And there's this woman up there who is interpreting everything. And then there's a man who's like pulling people up out of the audience, speaking in tongues and uh, pointing at them. And then the woman comes up and interprets what he is saying. So that's what's going on with this next part uh so here it is hopefully it's not too loud for there have been those moments when you said, Lord, I've struggled to hear your voice. I'm listening, God, but it seems like the words just aren't coming. And there have been those moments that you have looked around you at the circumstances and it's made you wonder. It's All right, so it continues on and on and on like that. And they do this with about like 10 other people in this video. And essentially, like, like I said, dude starts uh, speaking in tongues, brings someone up to the stage. It's a message that they believe is specifically for that person. Then the woman starts interpreting what he was saying. This is an example of what people believe is a prophetic speaking in tongues. So now we have pretty much three categories uh, that we see. Number one, uh, we see speaking in tongues as a real world language used for spreading the gospel. And then... Some churches will see a second one, which is a prayer language tongue that is used for edifying your spirit. And then we see a third one, which would be a prophetic tongue where they believe God is resting a message on top of them. Uh, and then they speak that and then someone interprets or the person receiving the prophecy could also interpret if they believe that. You could see many examples of that on YouTube if you ever go on and want to look at that. But I just wanted to give you a, a good example. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't want to get, to, I don't have a good example. I just wanted to give you an example of that. All right. I'm not trying to sound uncharitable and I'm sorry if I am. I just think this is important for a lot of people who don't know what this is or have never experienced it or ever dived into these different things to see all these different ways that people interpret this. Now, once again, I am of the interpretation that it is strictly a real world language. But I do admit, and I do admit, there are people who are in Reformed theology who do 
agree with this spiritual prayer language speaking in tongues or maybe even like a type of prophecy speaking in tongues uh, you have people like Wayne Grudem and John Piper very renowned reformed theologians who are more in probably my side of the camp than anything else uh, that do agree that like, praying in tongues is real they, they believe that uh, and they go through and they give very good reasons why they believe that like I said I never discount anything uh, but just the way that I read the Bible and the way that I see it. I personally don't see that. But like I said, it's not my opinion you should be going after. You should be reading this for yourself and praying over it. Now, let's go on to verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Uh, pretty much an example of what we saw there. Yet even lifeless things, either a flute or a harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what it is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, and there are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks as a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be of a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek abound, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Now, I know I just said a mouthful there. Essentially, what the Apostle Paul is getting out of that section of verses is saying, hey, look, if I come to you speaking in tongues, it's, it's absolutely meaningless to you uh, unless you get some type of way of prophecy or revelation or knowledge or anything like that through this. And essentially, if you're going to speak, speak in a way that's clear that people can understand. That's what I pull out of that. And then he goes on to talk about the harp or the flute or the bugle. Nobody knows what it's doing if it's just making these random sounds when you listen to an orchestra and some it goes off on their own. No, but if you produce these distinct tones and sounds, then people know what you're actually doing, such as the way with your speech. If you're speaking in a way that people understand, then you're doing the right thing. If somebody comes to me speaking from another country and they try to talk to me, it's going to make absolutely no sense to me. But essentially, if I'm speaking in their language, it's going to make a lot more sense and it's going to be good. He says, so also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound in the edification of the church. And that's what the point is. The point is the number one thing these gifts are for are for the edification of the church. Now we're going to move on to verse 13. He says, therefore, he's giving some more regulation here. This is real strict regulation, actually. And this is one that many people... Uh, some people operate in this correctly uh, that have a different view of tongues than I do, and some people operate it incorrectly. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing in the spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen to you of giving thanks? I, and I just want to stop right there real quick. So a lot of people will call praying in tongues praying in the Spirit. 
uh, and they will pull it from this verse. Now, I want to be clear, uh, praying in the Spirit does not mean praying in tongues. Whenever you are praying in the Spirit, that is when you are praying. You as a Christian are praying, and you are in line with God's will in your prayer, and you are praying in His will, essentially, I believe is a better way to say that. You're praying in the Spirit. Romans 8 talks about how the Spirit intercedes for us in our behalf, because we don't even know how to properly pray. So, when we pray in the Spirit, it's not speaking in tongues, and I know people will disagree with me on that, but I just don't see it in there. Uh, we are praying by virtue of the Holy Spirit who is interceding for us. See, we use Scripture to verify Scripture, because this isn't the only place that Paul talks about being in the Spirit. It also talks about, in Romans 8, walking in the Spirit. Now, if we're walking in the Spirit, not walking and speaking in tongues, we're, when we're walking in the Spirit, we are going in line with what the Holy Spirit is guiding us through our everyday lives. So as it is, when we pray in the Spirit, we are praying in the way in which the Holy Spirit is guiding us through our prayer life, not necessarily or alone in speaking in tongues. Now, in verse 16 in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills this place of the ungifted say amen at your giving thanks? Since he doesn't even know what you're saying. For if you are giving thanks uh, well enough, but the other person is not edified, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul right here admits that he speaks in tongues. Now, which type of tongues are we talking about here? Uh, you know, that's going to be up for debate. And that's really, honestly, like I said, something that you have to pray over and dig on. But Paul is saying, I, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, he says, and this is key, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in other words, what he's saying is like, look, when I come to speak to you and I come to preach to you, I'd rather preach to you in a language that you understand with my mind and I also understand what I'm saying so that way you can be edified uh, instead of speaking in tones in some way that you have no idea what I'm saying and nobody understands what's going on. That's what he's saying. Uh, so in verse 26, he sets some more regulation, or sorry, verse 20, he sets some more regulations. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet be evil, uh, yet in evil, so not be evil, but yet in evil, be infants. He's saying, don't be he said, be an adult with your grown-up thinking. Have grown-up thinking. The only thing you should be an infant in is in evil. And in other words, you shouldn't know evil very much. But then he continues to say, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me. Now, this is going back to the Old Testament verse we were talking about in the first episode. Uh, where Paul is pulling reference up here. This is in reference to Israel and people of different nations coming in who didn't speak their same language. God was using that as a sign, and he continues to say that. And in verse 22, or uh, continuing on in verse 21, he says, In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to these people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So this is key right here. Paul makes it very clear that tongues is not a sign for believers, 
but for unbelievers. Now, this is where some different views get really brought in, because then it sounds like everything that we just heard, like the people in church and all this stuff doing this prophesying, speaking in tongues stuff, there was no point to. Uh, but then you can also go on and say, well, they're talking about, you know, what if th this person is an unbeliever and they're speaking directly to them? So forth and so on. There's different ways that you can go about it. Everybody, there wouldn't, it wouldn't be around anymore if it was that easily dismissed, I guess, in that sort of way. People will have a defense for why they believe what they believe. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should defend why we believe what we believe and use the Bible to defend that. Like I'm saying, my opinion is just a little bit different in that regard. In verse 23, the Apostle Paul actually gives a better, deeper explanation to that. He says, therefore, if the whole church assembles together and they all speak in tongues and the ungifted man walks in or unbelievers enter, they will they not say, are, are you all mad? But if all prophesy or preach, stand forth in the word of God, an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, this speaks to a few different things, all right? So, number one, this shows that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. We talked about that. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Uh, secondly, he's saying if everybody in the church is just all speaking in tongues, and I've seen churches do this, you know, they'll be singing praise and worship, or uh, it could be completely silent, and everybody's just speaking in tongues that same way that we heard uh, in those audio examples, and they're all doing that. He's saying if somebody walks in there who doesn't know what you're doing, maybe they're from up north like I was when I first encountered it, and you hear this, and you're like, what is going on? And he even says, you're going to, aren't they, isn't he going to say that you're all mad and then pretty much walk out and leave? But essentially what Paul goes on to say is that if you actually preach in a language that people understand, when you prophesy over this person, uh, they're going to be convicted and they're going to fall down on their face and worship God and know that God is truly among you. Now, there are two different views to this. One is that he is preaching, and I'm not going to really, uh, I, this isn't a hill that I'm willing to die on, so I'm not going to go over which is what and all this stuff. But essentially, the two different views that you have from this could either be one, this person heard the gospel and now they believe, or two, Maybe somebody received a private, uh, not a private, but like a, a revelation about this person who walked in. They tell them in plain language that they understand what this revelation was, pointing out something in their life. Uh, many charismatic churches operate this way, uh, and they would go and say, oh, look, you've had issues with this, this, that, that, X, Y, Z, personal information that only they could know. And uh, this person all of a sudden is like, oh my gosh, God is really among you. And they fall down on their face and worship God. Either way, God is getting the glory out of that. And that's amazing. Uh, what we do see, though, sadly, once again, and I talked about this in the first episode, how the fakers ruin that. If that is real, and that's the, that second way of interpreting this, if that way is real, the fakers kill it for so many others. Because I've, I've watched, I've done hours and hours and hours of research on this. And a lot of these times when you see these uh, people prophesying over someone's life, like they're, they're prophesying over them or something like that, it's a very general prophecy. It's very general. There's a lot of, th it's kind of like those uh, tarot card readings or something of that nature. 
where it's very generalized, super general. It could be something that could be applied to almost anybody. You know, oh, I see you're going through a hard time right now. Uh, you're having an issue uh, in, in this financial department, you know, something like that along those lines, something that almost every single person is experiencing or can experience. Oh, you've experienced loss in, in, at some point in time. Uh, if it's very general, but then a person who is emotionally susceptible to that, you know, they're in a church for a reason. If they're unbeliever and they might be seeking after God and they see this and they hear this and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is me. This is me. Or uh, I think the better way is if you can point out a very specific detail, like, you know, someone told me, Tim, you, I go to maybe like a revival somewhere in like Florida to a place where nobody knows me. And he goes, Tim, the other day you went in your car and you drove to Fort Polk and you saw a person on the side of the road who needed help and you ignored him. You know, I would be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he is a hundred percent right. Like there is no possible way he could have known that unless God told him this or something along those lines. It, like I said, I'm kind of entertaining both sides here, so don't either side freak out on me. I want to be fair to all sides on this. Like I said, this is something that you have to go before God and pray about. But continuing on through the verses, because this episode is turning a lot longer than I really intended it to be, and I should have known with all the scripture that we're going through. But the Apostle Paul goes uh, in verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, and here's some regulation, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, each one has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Or in other words, let all things done to build up the body of Christ, the people of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or by three at the most, and each one in turn. So this whole everybody is speaking in tongues thing, that's not biblical. But instead... It should be one person at a time, and then he even limits it to maybe two or three at the most, and then saying each one in their own turn, and then that one has to interpret. Now, we actually, and then he says, if there's no interpreter present, we must be, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And then in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the other pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints." So there's multiple ways to view this passage as well. I mean, in my opinion, it seems very clear what he is talking about. Um, but, you know, some people will take this and say it means something different than what it actually is saying and try to find a deeper meaning. I'm not going to go too deep into that. I really feel like this passage that we just read is very, very self-explanatory. Uh, you can only speak when an interpreter is present. You can only do it one by one at a time and only two or three at the most. Now, what I do, so I asked the question, and if you go back to the podcast, uh, the Under the Cloud podcast, and it was on there and this was discussed, you know, what if somebody gets up and starts speaking in a tongue, like Paul says here, but there is no one around to give an interpretation? Well, he just broke what Paul just said. So the question was, or the uh, statement that was pretty much brought up by the other three, what they believe is that 
somebody received the gift of interpretation, but they were too afraid to actually get up and do anything about it, and they kept it to themselves. And then they will use verse uh, verse 32, and let the spirit of the prophets be subject to the prophets as the reason why. Like, in other words, if God gives you this revelation to stand up and speak in tongues, or if God gives you the gift of interpretation to go and interpret this, this is where you as a human have the ability to pretty much suppress the spirit because you're either too embarrassed or whatever the case may be, and you don't want to get up and say it. So like my buddies who I talked about this with believe that if the gift of tongues is given to somebody in that situation, that there will always be somebody who receives the gift of interpretation. And if that's not the case, then that means that they are faking it. Because they do acknowledge, and I want to be very fair here, uh, my buddies do acknowledge in that podcast that there are people out there who abuse this and they fake it. They will get up and they act like they're speaking in tongues and they are actually not. And they believe that, you know, there are fakers out there. They're not so, oh, everybody who's doing it is completely right. Um, But anyways, (laughs) so hopefully I'm not confusing anybody through that. We are almost done here. So continuing on, starting at verse 34, and I want to be very clear here with this. So it's funny because a lot of the people who will say this is talking about a, a different supernatural language speaking in tongues, all of a sudden when you get to verse 34, they get real quiet and say, nah, that doesn't mean what you think it means. Uh, and this is what verse 34 says. Paul says, the women are to keep silent in the church. Oh boy, I just raised all the red flags. (laughs) But the women are to keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them speak, or let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in a church. Or was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So this is very key right here. And this is why this do not forbid speaking in tongues. This is one big reason why I will not absolutely stand on a hill and say I am 100% right in what I am talking about, nor will I claim that these people who believe in a private prayer language uh, or anything like that are liars. I will not say that they are liars. I will not say that they are fakers because I don't want to forbid speaking in tongues. There is a possibility. Essentially, I'm admitting that there is a possibility that I could be wrong. I'm very confident that I am right, but at the same time, I am not so infallibly amazing that I am like, oh yes, I'm 100% right. There's no way I could be wrong. No, Uh, God could show me something at any point in time in my life. And if he does, I will obviously repent of anything wrong that I ever said. And you would be one of the first ones to know, because I'd probably come on here and make an episode saying, hey, look, everything I said was completely wrong. Uh, so I leave that possibility open. And I know many of my cessationist brothers and sisters will disagree with me on that. And maybe I'm ostracizing myself, not only from the tongue speakers, but from the cessationists as well. Uh, but like I said, I don't want to forbid, Paul's pretty clear here, 
don't want to forbid speaking in tongues. And maybe I don't have a correct understanding. I can admit that. And then in verse 40, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Now, real quick, just because I don't want to dismiss what I just talked about in verse 34. As I said, many people, especially in charismatic circles, they will and uh, they will acknowledge that they believe women are allowed to be pastors. They believe women are allowed to uh, hold the office of an elder. Uh, my personal belief on that, and I don't think I've ever done an episode on that based off of this verse, but not just really this verse, specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that while women are amazing, women can preach the gospel, women can evangelize, women can go out into the world and set up a ministry, they can have a YouTube ministry, they can have a women's ministry, they could teach other women, they could teach children. In fact, that's encouraged in certain passages, especially in Titus. But for pastoring or an elder of the church, a leadership position in the church, I do not believe that women are entitled to that role. You can go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 that talks very clearly about that. Uh, and I believe that verse is in proper context with the way we view Scripture today as well. I know many people will disagree with me, but I find it funny that they will, a lot of charismatics will use 1 Corinthians 14 literally all the way up until you get into this part and say, oh, well, that doesn't actually mean what it says it means. So there's a lot of debate there. And like I said, we are really getting far, far along on time. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But what I do want to say is, number one, I, and I'm really, really reiterating this, I am not infallible. And I do not every, have every single answer that there is out there. All I know is what I read in the Bible, what I pray over, and what I feel the Spirit is testifying to my spirit on what is true. Could I be misinterpreting? 100%. I can be. Could I be wrong? Yes, I can be. I do not want to limit myself on how I view God and what God can uh, pretty much essentially say to me or close myself off to something and say this isn't true. Hopefully all that made sense. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just keep reiterating myself over and over and over again. I'm very confident what I believe, but it's not a hill that I am going willing to die on when it comes to speaking in tongues and how to determine it. Determine it. So anyways, with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. I know this was a much different episode than I normally do, especially going over something so controversial in the church world today as this. But if you stuck it out this entire way, especially for this long episode, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I applaud you in that. And here's a cheesy sound effect for you. There you go. You made it. You made it. All right. So... I couldn't resist using the cheesy sound effects in this uh, new interface I got. But anyways, like I said, I hope nothing of this came out disrespectful to anybody because I have zero disrespectful intents behind everything that I said. It was truly only for the purpose of edification and seeing different viewpoints and trying to discuss these different viewpoints in depth. And I think we accomplished that. Now, if you do have any questions, comments, concerns, or maybe your complaints, or you thought I was being uncharitable, hit me up at I believe now what, uh, or sorry, <laughs> you can hit me up at I believe now what. Type that in in any search bar on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and we also have an email. It's a Gmail account. It's ibnw at g 
IBNW podcast, sorry, IBNW podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, now with this new interface, by the way, I actually have the ability to do phone interviews. So if anybody's wanting to do a phone interview, give a testimony, anything like that, by all means, hit me up. We'll talk about it. That'll be amazing. Or maybe you have disagreements with me on this and you want to do a friendly talk just like I did on the Under the Cloud podcast. Uh, I am also for that as well. But once again, number one overall purpose behind all of this was for everyone to just examine what they believe. Just like I did when I went to that charismatic church for two and a half years and honestly asked God, God, please show me what the truth is. And by all means, I am fully willing to admit that maybe he still has yet to show me the full truth on all this. There are things that I don't know, and I am fully aware of that because I am learning every day. All right. Well, enough of me reiterating myself over and over and over again. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this. And I pray that this was edifying in some sort of way. Y'all have a wonderful one, and I'll see y'all next week.